I've never given this talk, neither in German nor in English. I don't know how long it's going to be. 30 minutes or an hour and a half. So perhaps you'll need some patience, metta. The title is, right, concentration and steadiness. Support on the way to liberation. I'll begin with the quote. We collect so many things in life. Why not collect our mind for once? It's by Andreas Bachmann. In the Theravada and Tibet Mahayana traditions, a number of different terms and concepts are used to denote the different degrees and varieties of collectedness or concentration, or samlong. The term samadhi denotes the the mind state of concentration or collectedness and is used in various contexts. Samadhi literally means to be firmly fixed or to hold unwaveringly. Samasamadhi, right concentration, is the eighth aspect of the Eightfold Path. In some tradition, Three types of samadhi are distinguished. One is kanika samadhi, which is momentary or moment-to-moment concentration. Then there's upachara samadhi, access concentration. It's a deep concentration that is one with the object and free of the hindrances. And apana samadhi is full concentration. It's the fully one point of concentration which is attained in the so-called jhanas or states of absorption. That's samadhi. Now the terms samatha in Pali or shamatha in Sanskrit or shine in Tibetan, they refer to the actual meditative processes and practices of the formal Collectedness of the mind. So samadhi is the mind state. Samatha is the practice. The terms are closely related to each other. They aim at the development of collectedness, stability and peace of mind. Samatha literally means calm, abiding or established in peace. The practice of samatha frees the mind from distractions and in contrast to the kleshas, <coughs> which are the deceptive and tormenting mental qualities such as desire and aversion and many others, which exaggerate the experience. Collectedness acts like a magnifying glass, ein Vergrößerungsglas, or a microscope. <coughs> The objects of experience can be observed more clearly, more precisely, more steadily. Saito Dejaniya explains, says, Kleshas exaggerate, Samadhi magnifies. Or in different words, Kleshas confuse, Samadhi clarifies. Therefore, it is 
recommended that the meditation object should not be such that it activates klesha, of course. And properly practiced samatha meditation makes one peaceful, relaxed, alert and clear as we start to experience, to see here in the retreat. The last term or concept I want to mention is the term jhana. It refers to the so-called four absorptions of the pure form spheres and of the four formless spheres, which are characterized by the temporary disappearance of the five sensory activities, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, and the five hindrances. I'm not going to say more about this part. So what's collectedness good for? Those who wish to cultivate the wholesome Dharma qualities of heart and mind need at least some collectedness and steadiness of mind so as not to be again and again distracted from what's essential. It's what is needed to some degree to reach the depth of meditation. The purpose of samatha meditation is, number one, to achieve peaceful collectedness and states of happiness. Number two, to cultivate certain qualities, such as, for example, metta, or compassion, or joy, or equanimity. <clears throat> and third, it's to create the foundation for liberating insight, for Fourth, it also is an effective means to help living beings when it is developed deep, deeply. An essential aspect of of um, collectedness is the fact that it suppresses the so-called hindrances, namely, I mentioned them yesterday afternoon. Desire, ill will, dullness, restlessness and doubt, as well as other difficult emotions and mind states. This was described by the Buddha in the discourse on the fruits of the contemplative life. Abandoning desire with regard to the world, one dwells with an awareness, with the mindfulness free of desire. Abandoning ill will and anger, one dwells with awareness, free of ill will, sympathetic with the welfare of all living beings. Abandoning sloth and drowsiness, one dwells with an awareness free of sloth and drowsiness, mindful, alert, Abandoning restlessness and anxiety, one dwells undisturbed, one's mind inwardly stilled. And abandoning doubt, one dwells having crossed over doubt without confusion with regard to wholesome mental qualities. 
so much about what samatha is good for. Then about the meditation objects. Various meditation objects are suitable as counterforces for various unwholesome tendencies. For example, meditation on the unpleasant aspects of the human body can neutralize sense desire and attachment to the body. For aversive tendencies, meditation on kindness and compassion may help. Meditation on dependent arising can bring wrong views on self-existence to an end. The meditation of mindfulness of in and out breathing is recommended in the case of strong emotional and intellectual activity of the mind. In addition, meditation objects are mentioned which are important in the context of the so-called graduated part, path, sorry, Lamrim, seeing oneself and others as equals. That's a meditation that's done with collectedness. This helps against envy and jealousy. The meditation of exchanging self with others helps against arrogance, against conceit, and a deep sense of connectedness is being developed. The Vishuddhimagga, uh, all text, praises uh, collectedness as follows. It says, The wise fail not in devotion to the pursuit of concentration. It purifies the harmful defilements or kleshas and brings unimaginable rewards. An essential basis and prerequisite for collectedness is ethical conduct. That's what um, Samuel was talking about on Saturday evening. Apart from the fact that unwholesome behavior is usually hurtful for fellow human beings and fellow creatures, it also quite often causes restless states in one's own mind. But the internal turmoil, guilt and remorse are clearly counterproductive for the practice of peaceful abiding of samatha. On the other hand, a contented and happy mind is regarded as the so-called immediate cause of restful, collected, abiding. Like seeing the good in others or in a person is the immediate cause for metta. <clears throat> this contented and happy mind is the immediate cause for samatha. <clears throat> it's worthwhile to take these ethical aspects into consideration and take them to heart, I find. Next point is about the practice situation. 
much of this we already have, but it might be interesting to see what is actually important. It is essential to have received detailed instructions, not just to get on with some meditation, and to have access to qualified teachers during the practice period. It's also important during a retreat that food and medicine is easily accessible and that care is taken for seclusion, for ungestörtheit, and a suitable place is found which is calm, protected and clean and meets the mentioned conditions. I think serious retreat centers, certainly in the West and to some extent also in Asia, generally offer quite good conditions in this respect. In ancient, ancient times and still today in many places in Buddhist and Hindu cultures, certain really, really serious practitioners are still living in very remote areas in order to practice meditation. Shantideva poetically describes how this might look like. I'll just read it to you. I love it. Disillusioned with the desire for sensory experiences, these happy ones enjoy the seclusion of loneliness and walk in peaceful forests free of toil and strife. They live on enchanting white rock faces, cooled by sandalwood fragrance and moonlight, surrounded by peacefully whispering forest breezes, contemplating the welfare of living beings. In empty huts under trees, or living in caves as long as they wish, having given up the hardship of acquiring possessions and of guarding them, they lead the free and carefree life. Satisfied and living as one wishes, nothing to desire and no one to be obliged to it. This is hard to attain even for the powerful ones. After considering the benefits of solitude, they bring the disturbing hindrances to rest and meditate on the spirit of awakening or whatever their practice may be. Of course, we also have to choose a suitable meditation object. This may be the mind of awakening that Chantideva mentioned, Bodhicitta, or simpler objects such as breathing in and breathing out. It can be hard qualities such as loving kindness, metta, as we do here, compassion, joy or equanimity. It can also be certain symbols or Buddha forms and many other objects. With insight meditations, like Vipassana or Dzogchen or Mahamudra, the process of ever-changing moment-to-moment experience is made the object next week. Often it depends on the teachers or the tradition one is in, which practices and which meditation objects will be taught and recommended. 
the actual procedure for the practice of collectedness of samatha is illustrated here according to Tibetan teaching. Sometimes these images help to remember. Though their um, culture of those old days was mostly rural, mostly agricultural, sometimes warfare examples. Still, this is a sheep. A sheep is tied to a post with a rope. A strong post is tied with the rope. There's a shepherd who sits nearby on a slightly elevated terrain and monitors the environment. It's watchful. That is the rope, the length of the rope, and the shepherd. The rope corresponds to the mindfulness that keeps the mind on the object. The length of the rope corresponds to the given area in which the sheep can graze. That is, the peaceful abiding in a limited or somewhat more open field of mindfulness. And the shepherd corresponds to vigilance, to clear comprehension, making sure that no disturbances come, can come in. So it's a watchfulness, a safeguard, the Meditation, sheep. These three, mindfulness, calm abiding and watchfulness, are the essential functions in the meditation of collectedness, of metta here, in our case. A well-known and still very practical illustration comes from Sharon Salzberg. She writes, in the traditional practice of collectedness, we place the awareness on a single object, such as the inhalation and exhalation of the breath, or the phrases of loving kindness. And this is important. And we let go of everything else that passes through our mental and physical senses. There's almost a sense of cherishing the object of focus. Sometimes it is as if we are protecting it, maybe like the shepherd. But we never need to clutch it tightly or grimly. We simply practice with the quality of devotion, of hingabe, devoted to the chosen object of collectedness. We stay connected to it, gently letting go of whatever distracts us from it. Michelangelo was once asked how he would carve an elephant. He replied, I would take a large piece of stone and take away everything that was not the elephant. Developing the force of collectedness is simply seeing what is not the elephant and letting it go or what is not the actual meta practice here. The art of collectedness is a continual letting go. We let go of that which is inessential or distracting. We let go of a thought or a feeling, not because we are afraid of it or because we can't bear to acknowledge it as part of our experience, 
but because it is unnecessary in this context. When we are practicing collectedness, and a thought arises in the mind, or a memory, a plan, a comparison, an inviting fantasy, we let go of it. If anger arises or self-judgment, or eager anticipation, we simply let go of it, calmly returning to the object of focus. So far, Sharon Salzberg. I love the three pictures that Tsoni Rinpoche uses to illustrate the collected mind state. It's a so-called threefold immobility. It doesn't so much describe the metta meditation, because here we use phrases and imagination, but more the straight samadhi practice on one object. Says the body is upright and unmoving, like Mount Sumeru, the king of mountains, maybe like Matterhorn. Says upright but loose as a sheaf of cereal stalks, wie eine Getreidegarbe, that you know that is standing in the field after cutting loose the string that holds the stalks together. They still stand, but it goes... So it's upright, but... drop the tension. All the senses are open and motionless, like the water, when all stars are reflected in it. The senses are open, and this is essential, without reacting to sensory impressions or thoughts. Unaffected, uninvolved, and completely present, relaxed from the inside. It's akin to a completely smooth, calm lake where everything is reflected. The mind is motionless like the open sky, without clouds, clear, alert, alert, aware. Not lost in the path, past, not lost in the future, not lost in the present. And in this case here, without reference point, completely open. This example, collectedness, does not refer to the one-pointedness on a single object, but refers to the steadiness of the continuous mindful presence. Now let's look at the qualities of collectedness. When we practice collectedness, five qualities of collectedness or concentration develop. They are called jhanangas in Pali, which is usually translated as jhana factors. Here I will simply call them concentration factors. The further they are cultivated, the deeper the collectedness gets. On the one hand, a description of this concentration factors reveals what happens when we practice collectedness 
and on the other hand describes the essential qualities or ingredients of collectedness itself. They are applied attention with Taka and Pali, sustained attention with Chara, interest, joy, delight, which is piti. Number four is happiness or sukha. And number five, one-pointedness, ekakata. Applied attention is what is aiming at the object. What throws the mindfulness onto the object and establishes contact. While sustained attention keeps the contact with the object. Like if you feel your right hand, you feel it? So, Applied attention is what it took to go to the right hand and feel it. And if you keep on feeling it, that's sustained attention. If you still feel it. Connect. Stay with it. It's the two first qualities. These two are illustrated as follows. Applied attention is like hitting a bell Sustained attention is like the continuing sound once we hit the bell. Or applied attention is like the initial flapping of the wings of a bird when it takes off. Sustained attention is like the bird's subsequent gliding. Applied attention is like the hand grabbing a plate Sustained attention is like the hand rubbing the plate dry. Grasping it, staying with it. Both mental activities are directly relevant in our meditation here. It's essential to try again and again to make contact with the object of meditation. In samatha, like right now, It's the metaphrases, it's the visualized person, it's the good intention with which we are continuously present as much as possible. Connect, we stay with, we connect, we stay with. In the Vipassana meditation, it may be a physical sensation, a sound or a taste in the mouth or whatever. That is to really be in touch with a body movement when it begins, a sound when it starts, the foot when the lifting begins. That not only in the hall or in a formal walking meditation, but whenever and wherever we remember to be mindful. That's the applied attention. It's very helpful to try again and again to keep in touch with the meditation object as long as possible. Continuously holding the contact, sustained attention. If we deepen the collectedness in this way, the next, the third concentration factor will arise. It's interest or intense interest, fascination, joy. Although or perhaps because our meditation here does not so easily bring experiences of fascination and delight. 
it's still good to remember that it is in our capacity or ability to create a certain amount of interest or even fascination. It's not done by pressure or compulsive effort towards collectedness and steadiness, but rather through relaxed but careful interest in the object. For this it's helpful if you know the close connection between the totality of attention and interest. Whenever there is a lack of interest, that is, when it gets boring, we can see this as a signal that we're half-hearted, mechanical, superficial. It's like, you know, may he be happy and peaceful, maybe he uh, um, um, live in safety, <laughs> and it gets boring. It's an obvious reason. It's not. We don't connect. We don't bring our being into what we do. That's not only true for samatha meditation, but for everything in life. It's to make the effort towards a totality of being present. Because that creates and renews interest and even fascination. Cultivating applied and sustained attention creates interest, joy and inspiration. It can also trigger very pleasant feelings in the mind and in the body. Steadiness when deepened in the samadhi practice creates the fourth concentration factor, happiness, a gentler, quieter but deeper kind of joy. Joyful interest and fascination are, as illustrations again, first one is seeing the oasis with the lake from the crest of the last sand dune after having crossed the heat and dust of a desert. We finally see the oasis. It's a excited joy. Happiness is like quenching one's thirst and enjoying the lake. Finally, we're in there. It's a gentler, deeper joy. Happiness brings more and more peace and feels much mellower. The changeover also happens because the quality of calm is deep, uh, deepens. Here it does not take so much effort to keep the collectedness on the object. Eventually it becomes so deep that the fifth concentration factor, the kakata, one-pointedness, comes to the fore. This one-pointedness is compared to a steady flame in a wind-free place, a firmly anchored pillar that cannot be shaken. One-pointedness eventually brings about the full collectedness in the mind, as well as unshakable stability of the inner alignment, oriented towards a single object, as in samatha, or towards constantly changing objects, as in the vipassana meditation. Along with this one-pointedness arises also equanimity, which causes emotional stability 
and deeper inner balance. So these are the five concentration factors, <coughs> which are the actual components or ingredients of which samadhi or collectedness consists. In Vipassana meditation, it's not so much the depth of the collectedness we need to develop, though all the samadhi we can get is definitely helpful. But for very deep samadhi, most meditators need longer than the time we have here, maybe a few weeks or months of exclusive samatha meditation. Here instead, we really need a steadiness of mind which arises through consistent continuity of mindfulness, of connecting, of holding the contact, of being with the phrases, being with the meaning of the phrases, being with the good intention and the person. What I find is very relevant to this collectedness, also for us here in the Metta retreat or the Vipassana retreat next week, is the fact that the five concentration factors suppress the hindrances at least temporarily. They disappear as long as the collectedness lasts. The five concentration factors and the five hindrances are directly related. Again, remember, the hindrances are desire, ill will or aversion, dullness, restlessness, doubt. They hinder the development of the meditation. And the five concentration factors counteract the hindrances. Applied attention counteracts dullness and drowsiness. Attention to the meditation object requires effort. And as a result, more energy is created in the mind. We become more alert. As long as we are not really exhausted, the use of energy leads to increased alertness. When dullness, drowsiness or cloud the mind, additional effort often helps, such as as I'm trying to focus more closely on the object of meditation. Or for example, if one would do samatha with the in and out breath meditation, focusing on another bodily sensation in the pauses between each inhalation and exhalation may help. That's a Burmese teacher who taught me or told me I have to do that. And in breath, there's a very short pause. You have to feel another sensation and then the out-breath goes. And then it stops. You have to feel another sensation and then the in-breath comes. So you really have to wake up and really be present. For this, we need applied attention. Sustained attention sets aside the tendency towards skeptical doubt. When attention stays continually on the object, indecision and being torn apart by doubt can gain no foothold anymore. Doubt here is not eliminated by additional deliberation and thinking about why I 
this is like this or not like that, but by steadiness of attention. Joyful interest is the counterforce against hatred and resentment. When one is filled with interest and fascination, maybe even joy, there simply is no interest in dwelling on gross, unpleasant states, such as aversion. Happiness brings restlessness and worry to an end. Happiness gives a sense of safety and well-being. There's a sense of wholehearted acceptance that has a calming effect. So restlessness and worry disappear. And one-pointedness neutralizes desire and attachment. It causes the consciousness to focus exclusively on the meditation object. So in the mind there is no more room for anything else whereby desire naturally disappears. Also the presence of equanimity prevents one then from being interested in other objects. As the collectedness deepens, the hindrances temporarily disappear completely. The mind is one-pointed, resting in a state of equanimity with great calm and clarity. Without desire or aversion, drowsiness, restlessness or doubt. With that, the collectedness may be further deepened. In samatha or in vipassana, the concentrated mind may turn into exploration of the nature of things. This is one of the great benefits of collectedness. When the power of the concentration factors wears off again, the hindrances will reoccur. One might have experienced this after leaving retreats and go back in a busy work day. The effect of the concentration factors on the hindrances can show why formal meditation and in particular meditation retreats are just much better suited for understanding the causes of suffering than everyday life is. At this point of this talk, I'll move more towards Vipassana or insight meditation. It's actually a talk on the eighth and last aspect of the noble eightfold path, right? Samadhi. On this path, Samatha, the collectedness, and Vipassana, the insight, they're working together towards right view or liberating insight, which is the first aspect of the Eightfold Path again. Here in this retreat, we'll stick to Samatha, to collectedness, until next Saturday. And only then, for those who stay, move on to insight practice. So I hope what I'm going to say now is not too confusing. With regards to Samatha and Vipassana, a question is often asked, and this refers to 
samatha or collectedness in the vipassana meditation. The question is how much collectedness is needed for insight practice, for vipassana practice. Interesting question. How, how much do I have? Need to have concentration. A common recommendation is we need a moment-to-moment collectedness. However, there are also teachers who recommend to first develop collectedness to great depth and only then begin with the insight meditation. That, of course, takes a lot more time for most of us, not for everybody, but for most of us. Jack Confield was asked which one of the two approaches he would call right concentration. He answered with the question, Does right samadhi mean focusing on deep concentration, as recommended by Pa'auksayato and others, or is it developing the natural concentration of mindfulness, as Achan Cha and Utejaniya teach? Which one is the best way? And, of course, the answer to both is yes. They're both approaches are right, though they're quite different. Sharon Salzberg was asked how much she weighed the collectedness in her teaching. She explained, I think it shifts. My training with Anagarika Munindra was very much around moment-to-moment mindfulness, which is a more continuous mindfulness that will give you the degree of samadhi that you need. You don't need to devote yourself specifically to samadhi training, like weeks or months or years of samadhi training. And there are aspects of it that I think are really useful for people who live in the world, who are not going to devote the kind of sequestered time that intensive samadhi training might need. By and large, it would be the emphasis of a moment-to-moment continuity of mindfulness, a momentary concentration. That's Sharon Salzberg. Christina Feldman was also asked about the significance of right samadhi in the context of the Eightfold Path. There's a wider way of describing right samadhi, which is not so much the one-pointedness with the single object, but with the one-pointedness with whatever object arises, it is a momentary concentration, the kind of samadhi that is very important in the development of insight. Next week. With the collected and steady mind, Vipassana meditation looks at the characteristics of moment-to-moment objects, their transiency or impermanence, their unsatisfactoriness, their non-self nature. This is accomplished by consistently establishing and then sustaining contact, but here with ever-changing objects. In certain Tibetan traditions, one speaks of samatha with or without support to different approaches. With support refers to the concentration on one object, such as the breath, or also such as metta, 
or maybe a Buddha form. Without support, I just like to mention, they call it samatha, but I like to mention it because it's somewhat similar to the initial stages of Vipassana. It refers to the steady, undistracted, mindful awareness of changing objects of the six senses, seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling. Yet the mind here rests in itself, respectively, the awareness rests in awareness more than on the object. It's the same experience, but the focus is somewhat different. Or the attention goes in somewhat different place. In this samatha without support, no experience is excluded, like in Vipassana. One does not hold on to any object and it's all about not getting lost, not getting distracted, settled in the present with alertness, with whatever objects and appearances come and go. The following comes from a teaching by Tsoni Rinpoche from the Dzogchen tradition, but it can be applied to Vipassana very well. It describes what he called the Samatha meditation without support. Changing objects, which we probably will call Vipassana. Here too, one needs mindful awareness. That's like the sheep, the rope. One needs peaceful abiding, the area in which the sheep can graze, as well as watchful, clear comprehension, like the shepherd who is on guard against intrusions. Through prolonged practice, one becomes less and less victim of one's thoughts. Rinpoche feels at this point basic freedom, competence and dignity begin. Yes, it's a very different kind of vocabulary than we use, so listen to it, relax. He says it's also emotional freedom Similar to human rights, one has now emotional rights. He further explains, in the Samatha meditation without support, one lets everything that appears in the mind pass by, be it positive or negative. And he says, with Samatha, one can manage about this kind of Samatha, about 80% of the emotional problems, 20% remain That's when one gets flooded by a large package of emotions or when a single emotion becomes too powerful. As long as emotions are strong and are seen and experienced as mine because I seem to truly exist, the 20% of emotions will remain. He continues saying, here the meditators themselves are the problem. Therefore, instead of a doorman, as in a hotel, we need the automatic door. A doorman tends to get involved again and again with the visitors and the guests of the hotel who come and go. An automatic door simply opens and closes the door without any problem or complication. Mara and Buddha come through the same door 
The door is open, but one does not get involved with either one. With either one. Also, it is important to leave the opposite door open, that is the exit door. The motto then is, hi and bye. It says, hello or tschüss. With both wholesome and unwholesome experiences. Everything comes and goes without leaving a trace. The Buddha emphasized, cultivate concentration. Those who are concentrated understand things as they really are. And what do they understand? The arising and passing away of the aggregates. That's of all things in existence. And Joseph Goldstein explains, in the Buddha's words, we see that this last step of the path, right concentration, leads us back to the first step, right view. With ever deepening levels of understanding, we see that the Noble Eightfold Path come full circle again and again, spiraling upward toward liberation. So collectedness and steadiness of the mind are ultimately cultivated to achieve right insight or right view. If our mind is firmly established in right view, which now has become right insight, we will increasingly think and act with the right attitude of renunciation, of generosity and of compassion, thereby right speech, right action and right livelihood evolve And on this basis, by means of right effort and right mindfulness, we again strengthen right concentration and steadiness, thus deepen again liberating insight. As Joseph Goldstein says, with ever-deepening levels of understanding, we see that the Noble Eightfold Path comes full circle again and again, spiraling upward toward liberation. The goal of any insight meditation is the overcoming of all kinds of identification with experience or, in other words, the complete cessation of any kind of grasping. Here lies the depth of inner freedom, the freedom from suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.